0: This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians.
1: I'm Luz Maria Frias, deputy attorney general with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and ideas that I share are strictly my own and should not be imputed to my employer.
2: I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church and owner of Dendros Group.
3: And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, and producer of Commerce Stories.
0: We have a guest with us today, and I'm proud to say we have another Malax band member, so I don't feel so lonely. Uh, but with us joining us, this uh, is uh, Adrian Benjamin. And uh, Adrian, if you could uh, please introduce yourself and your new job title.
4: Mrs. Agagne and in da my name is Adrian Benjamin I am from Malax but more specifically from the uh, Isle community in that uh, reservation um, I also started a new job position uh, recently with Minnetonka as their reconciliation advisor which has caused a lot of buzz
0: a lot of buzz, and it's that new position that has us all giddy. And um, so, Adrian, can you tell us a little bit about what your position is and what it is that you hope to be able to provide to uh, Minnetonka Moccasin?
4: Sure. So, uh, I was introduced to uh, Jory Miller Scherer, who is the president and to david miller who's the ceo uh they're a father and daughter they're a family-run business uh, by uh elder from minneapolis area and the meeting was prefaced to talk about um i wasn't given the name of the company actually first it was hey we just have this company that has done some serious appropriation and they want to talk and this person was having issue finding folks that were even willing to hear it just off of that preface alone. Um, so her and I had had some discussions previously about the way that, I mean, I've worked in, in a lot of like systems change um, in really difficult situations as far as like public schools up North here on border towns uh, of the Mille Lacs reservation. And so I, I thought I was, I was interested. I was interested to hear the conversation. I was definitely interested to hear a company that was willing to, um, yeah, hear me out for sure. That was one thing, you know, that was important for them to listen just as much as it was for me to listen to anything that they had to say. Uh, so those meetings happened and I was really impressed with. Like the, the understanding and the admissions. And I think it was a long time coming for them that they had been wanting to do something. Um, they weren't sure what they had been talking to other folks in Indian country about this for some time and just really weren't, weren't sure. Like they wanted to make sure that their steps forward were, were going to be, you know, jive with the community. They didn't want to obviously make fools of themselves. So they were really doing some research and I was impressed with that. Um, so as far as my role, after quite a few meetings and some really awkward conversations, uh, I decided that I was willing to try it out. And we started out with just like a three to six month base and see where this goes and like what happens with these meetings that we had. And it just has worked and it has definitely, um, not been all butterflies and, honey <laughs> there's been some really difficult conversations that i've had directly with with jory and and david um you know about how deep this runs and i think as we've uh as as the reconciliation advisor like i said it was a self-chosen title that they let me <laughs> they that they were like interested to see what what i would say and i thought you know if we're reconciling uh relationships then this is what i would call it and i think it's a pretty powerful title to you know, to move forward in in that aspect. So um, I think as we started to even just have base meetings with some organizations in Minneapolis and even some uh, with other tribes and schools and just introducing them, like I thought one of the main things, aside from the apology, the public apology and the, you know, um, that part of things, the, the other important thing was for them to in a sense put their money where their mouth is right and to start really donating back into communities if you're apologizing for economic appropriation then that's kind of the thing that doesn't happen very often and to really build relationships with community to where they can feel like you know they're going to earn some trust before anybody is going to want to work with them before anybody's going to want to listen to that, what they say or anything you know because this has been going on for so long so that was where we started. And it was really, I think the one really interesting thing that has happened is that every single conversation that we've had with with anybody, whether it's about like moving forward and, you know, maybe doing some artwork or mural work or, or looking at redesigning like the Thunderbird logo, different things, right? We've had different artists and conversations with different people. Like that appropriation is on the table in every single conversation that we've had and that's been really interesting because it just goes to show I think how deep that runs for every person you know on a a different show I was asked a question well is don't you think it's interesting that native cultural appropriation isn't as forefront as like other types of appropriation and I my answer was but it is if you ask an indigenous person like we get sick of it. We see it every day. Like, you know, and like every time we hear Minnetonka, like, boom, it, it's there. You hear it or you feel it. You, you remember all of those things or whatever, you know. So I think it's just but that's what's happened so far in these conversations is that people bring it up and they want to have their say. They want to tell their stories about how like that appropriation made them feel or maybe tell story. I mean, we've had interesting stories about someone's grandma actually beat it for Minnetonka like in the 60s and 70s beaded the tops of those those shoes and so it was a different feeling for them because it it supported their household you know so it's been really interesting thus far Um, to answer the other part of the question where do I see it going I think there's a lot of different ways I'm pretty excited to uh, as an artist myself really um, give other artists an opportunity to to use, you know, the light that Minnetonka already has to put it on Native art and to give, you know, other folks who probably wouldn't ever have a, an arena that big to, to get some design work, to put, them, put themselves and their art out there through a company that's already established that wants to, you know, step up and do that. And obviously there's, you know, the donation end of things and giving back to community. And that part really excites me also. So we're really looking at how right now um, all of those things can kind of work together to create like an eventual cycle of if Minnetonka is going to move forward and um, wants to sponsor and use their light to shine light on actual Indigenous art instead of appropriated Indigenous art, then... How do we do the giving in a way to where it all works out? So if we're giving, you know, teaching people new beadwork techniques or whatever it is, how does that translate into, you know, eventual, you know, art opportunities for people in the future, right? And
3: the Minnetonka Moccasins came out with an official statement, um, and and I'm just going to read a little bit of it so that our audience gets, you know, a little grounded in what we're talking about. Um, quote, we Minnetonka deeply and meaningfully apologize for having benefited from selling Native inspired designs without directly honoring Native culture or communities. We are dedicated to honoring our commitment to Native American communities with our actions going forward. So that's just a little snippet from the, the statement. So did you um, meet with them before this statement or was it something that, that you met with them after the statement?
4: It was, it was prior. We've been working together since early this year, um, maybe even the end of last. I can't remember. It's been just a whirlwind with the pandemic and this and all this stuff. But um, yeah, so we've been working together on this plan. Like what is step one? How do you move from, I mean, really complete appropriation, which, which they've now admitted, right? To doing better. And that's where... I came in to try to help them. Like, what is step one? What is step two? How do we move forward? Like, what are the what are the the different ways that they can do better and do better by the community, do better in their giving? Um, and I, I will say this too: is as Minnetonka is a family-run company, they have been giving, not like not in the public eye for some time. And that was another thing that kind of was interesting: is that. Like I said before, I think that this was something that they've been wanting to move forward with and just hadn't known how because their family had been privately giving to indigenous organizations in the metro and nationally for some years, even prior to the announcement a couple weeks ago.
1: I wanted to have an understanding of why now Um, this company was was created and established in 1946. So 75 years ago, why now? And, you know, and I know that you're responding to a question that, you know, certainly those decisions or the inclinations were considered before they brought you on probably, but can you help us understand why now? I mean, what was their catalyst in particular that prompted them to begin to do this? Um, That's the part that's confusing to to me and and probably other listeners as well.
4: Sure. So Thank you for pointing that out. I definitely am not their, like, co-signer or spokesperson by any means. Like, I feel like I'm more of their, like, the navigator of process moving through more than, you know, i speaking for them. But from the conversations that we've had and my understanding of where this came from for them was, like I said, they had been thinking about it for a long time, um, how they wanted to go about this, having meetings prior to even meeting me with other folks and. the uh, you know, indigenous art world and philanthropy in general. Um, and we, in the conversations that we've had, it, it really hit them with the, the murder of George Floyd and how everything started to kind of, I guess, progressiveness caught up with them in a sense of pushing that forward. And, you know, there was talks about, you know, it being more apparent. They were getting a lot more call outs on the website on their emails all of that stuff. So, you know, just as much as the progressive movement was happening nationwide, it was happening in little channels at Minnetonka that, you know, nobody else really thought about, but them at the time. And so it was through that where they were just like, okay, this is, this is it. And in another interview, like my view of it from, you know, just outside looking in and getting to know them is that, you know, uh, Jory is, is younger and she's, The president and probably will eventually take the company over. And I think that she's just in that generation of growing up and getting it. And not that David doesn't, because he does, and he's very much on board with all of this. But I think that, you know, Jory just has that younger push behind, you know, understanding social justice, wanting to do better and knowing that, you know, something she's going to take over one day is something she can feel good about and wants to do better. I think just in general, they... That was what the catalyst was that pushed it forward for them to just say, "Okay, like this is we want our family legacy to be this, not that. And this is the time. So that was my understanding in the the chats that we've had.
0: Your position is uh, I don't know if there's another position like this anywhere in the country, is there?
2: The good thing is, Don, that's exactly the question I was going (laughs) to ask is is. Just, just specifically about, you know, are you, are you, I was wondering if you're seeing other business entities or other folks in different fields, whether they are examining their own company's appropriation or not, um, starting to, uh, take this example and apply it to them looking at their own interactions with various communities. Are you seeing any, this have any effect, you know, even beyond in the general business community?
4: I, I think that, well, uh, okay, I'll start here. So this past weekend, I actually had a conversation with one of my other Indigenous art artist activist friends, and we were talking about this this role. Her and I hadn't really discussed it yet, um, and you know, she was talking about how there are other companies that you know have obviously appropriated a lot. Like we can name Indigenous folks can name a lot of them that that have done this and. That, you know, some like from this is what her and I were talking about is that a lot of them have done these very subtle and quiet movements, right? Like some of these um, companies who have done this for a long time have now started taking on board members and having advisory councils and really pushing Native artists and doing like the things that are right and good, but have never done the public facing like apology acknowledgement, And so that's what I see out there. And that was really interesting because when we were gearing up um, for, for the, the announcement and the public apology, when this, when we had the press release and we were talking about how this was going to go, like it, I think it was footwear news and the star tribune were the two media outlets at the time that when we were just like, well, we hope native people see this. That's what, that's what I wanted. That's what their really goal was like, we want people to start that trust there. Like we want to admit this. We want to, you know, uh, have this be public as as you know. And I gave that credit. Like I feel like it's it's owning some serious stuff, and and ta- you know, it's a lot of shame involved in that uh, ownership. And so, I mean, I think it was a it was a really. Um empathetic, but also risky move, you know, because now look at like, I mean, <laughs> I think the crazy thing is we were on like the daily mail Snapchat story, daily story or something. I, somebody was sending it to me all the time. And to think about that, I mean, I think just alone in that announcement. And I I told this to Minnetonga, obviously this is not, that's not all I want to see happen or all they want to see happen. But I said, even if it was just that, you already made that subject you know, blow up, right? Like we're talking about it now and it got to bigger channels and without doing that and being that brave and bold and, you know, public facing, it probably wouldn't, you know, they could have just started to, we could have quietly done the work and just hired Native artists and gradually, you know, phased out of their product or products that that are appropriative and everything else like that. But doing it this way, like I said, I think it really set an example in in their industry and you know just yeah business-wide across the country to get that conversation going you know it was like crazy to me that that very same weekend I get a call to be on NPR you know and I'm like (laughs) like that was really cool like didn't expect that at all and taking on this role to me it's it was just always about like helping them do the right thing and and to try to utilize those resources and what they were wanting to give and do like to community the best way that I could, because that's been my life's work, you know. So
0: so Adrian, you know, there are there are a couple of things that that I'd like to kind of pull up from what you've said. Um And one is, you know, I, I think that what the at least my excitement when I heard that announcement, I, I was, you know, I follow I were friends on Facebook. So I saw when you announced that you got this job. And I had to wrap my mind around it because for years, many of us in my generation they've reached out to us, but they've never really taken us seriously, or they would pick our brains and never want to compensate us for us. For the fact that they created this position is is a very loud statement and a bold one. And I and and what I want to attach to that is that there was an article that just came out that the uh, the nuns at um, St. Benedict's in St. Joseph's, Minnesota, sent a letter to the White Earth Nation apologizing for their role in running the Catholic boarding school at the White Earth Reservation back in 1890, 1892, up until 1945. So in the state of the state of California, is trying to reconcile its history and its role with the federal government and how they compensated some of those early settlers to massacre the indigenous populations that lived in California. So we're beginning to see this, and I can't call it tidal wave, I call it a little trickle of recognition of of what our community has been telling everyone else the fact that you know that uh there was genocide committed against us that our children were taken and put in boarding schools to wipe out our language and our culture our way of life Um, we're the only group that the u.s instituted a religious ban against the country we're all taught in grade school that this is the land of the free you know uh people came here for religious freedom while at the same time we went to jail when we practice our spirituality we couldn't even carry an eagle feather i'm so i'm just saying there this is like a trickle it's like it's like they're just opening the spout and it's beginning to drip out but the fact that the fact that they created this position and that you're in it, I think speaks volumes, hopefully, for progress moving forward because, you know, there are many companies. I, you know, Land of Lakes is another one that jumps out at, at me. I can remember looking at that that Indian woman holding that, you know, <laughs> ever since I was a, a small kid, let alone all the moccasins, you know, you, you walk into a. You can go down to the Southwest to uh, Arizona to you know um, Scottsdale and walk into walk into a store and there there they have these Indian Indian things and there's Minnetonka moccasins and yeah you, you know, I would look at them going my great grandmother made moccasins they never looked like this right I mean it and so <laughs> so you know for us it's always been there disappropriation and the fact that you know and we've we've brought this up so many times on our program that as american indians we make up less than 1% of the total population we've been told that we're statistically insignificant and we're invisible so our issues never rise to the top right they for, but some of us have been banging our heads against the wall hollering you know every opportunity we can that this is happening we finally got the Washington Redskins to drop Redskins how long you know how long of a battle has that been so you know it's like this little trickle and and so I'm just excited as heck that you have this job called reconciliation person from Minnetonka and I mean I because I think it I think it 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 means that there's opportunity to continue those discussions.
2: You know, one of the things that came up, Adrian, uh, I'm curious about this. We had uh, Christine Dindizzi, um from the uh, National Boarding School Healing Coalition, and I was able to sit in a talk at a Truth and Reparations with uh, Jim Bear Jacobs here, um, and, and with with religious communities, in particular, Christian communities here having a discussion around this and, and, and she pushes, uh, to think about reconciliation differently. Oftentimes we hear white folks talk about reconciliation right in the midst of, of addressing the truth of, of harm, of real, you know, tangible harm in order to hurry up and move, move through it. But here you've given us an example of not just you know, moving towards trying to reconcile this 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 several year history of this own company, you know, bankrolling from this, but there you you gave examples of putting the money where their mouth is. Meanwhile, you know, you've got you know, and all the folks you listed, Don, we still got camps, you know, scout camps and and YMCA camps and all these other different camps with appropriate names where kids are still going to to pick up on this you know tradition. So, can you can you speak to some of the ways that you have? Deepened what reconciliation means in your in your work and in this role with this company because I think that's an important piece that this that's what makes this different than what many people try to say is reconciliation in other circles.
4: We actually had uh, a conversation this week. We have uh, Monday meetings, um, and after the news broke, I think we had a real interesting conversation that came up. You know, and, and with. Jory and David uh, were just real blunt and they're like, I think we have to get really clear about where we want to go and what it is that we want to invest in and how we're going to go about doing it. Because I think like indigenous folks specifically, and not just indigenous folks, but a lot of ELC folks are, have deep scars. The scarring is super deep. And, and when I think about reconciliation (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be about consistency over time. Right. Like, I mean, like that's <laughs> something I, I, I will give a shout out to my, my therapist says you build trust after it's broken, broken through consistency over time. And I think that that's what they have to do this company. Like, and it, and it's going to come in forms of, of monetary investments. It's going to come in, uh, you know, coming on shows like this and, and having them themselves talk about it and, and using their voice and their light and their brand to really give back to the community in the ways, the same ways that they, that they took, you know, one thing that I explained to them, which kind of just goes off of what, what Don was just talking about is that maybe the, like, Reconcil- what does reconciliation mean and how can it even be done is such a loaded question, right? I think every indigenous person or person of color has their own views of what that is. And and it, and I think oftentimes, like we can go into these like colonial mindsets of it should be money, give me money and I want like a check now, right? Like, and and it's like, it doesn't work like that. And that's one thing at our meeting that, you know, Minnetonka was, they were both, Jory and David were like, we can't like, pay everyone, right? Like that's just not feasible. Like, I mean, they're, they're, that's, it's, it's not going to happen, right? Like, so how can we use these resources, use their, you know, knowledge, their, their stance in that business world, all of these different things to like create something, plant seeds, where it can grow into, to the fact that they're, that it's, it's worth something now and it'll be still worth something in the future and that they're a true ally moving forward to indigenous folks to continue to shine that light. And that, and I will say one goes one step further than that, another thing that impressed me in the meetings with them that kind of made me lean into this job a little bit more was that they were very, Jory and David were very frank in saying like, this isn't just, we're doing this announcement and then, we got away from it and now we're moving on. Like we want this to be the legacy and the life of this company to have indigenous people involved with it forever, like forever. And how that looks and the way that we go about it, like we're going to build that now. And I think that that's super meaningful when you talk about reconciliation, like it's not just a one and done thing. It's got to be a continuous process that shouldn't, shouldn't really ever stop because that company was built on those those bases, you know. So as long as it exists, reparations and the reconciliation should continue to exist within it. That's that's how I look at it, I guess.
1: You know, Adrian, yeah, go ahead. Liz. Oh, okay. You know, Adrian, when you make those statements, I I, I am um, I'm happy to hear that that they've gone through that extent and and that commitment. And I want to take us back to a point that Don made earlier with regard to Land O'Lakes. Now, Land O'Lakes, when they made their announcement, they did not take the care that Minnetonka moccasins did, and in fact, kept avoiding the reason uh, for which, you know, declaring and announcing why they were removing the image um, and, you know, commodification of the Indian woman on the on their packaging. So your, you know, your position is unique to right now in the moment, but also for other companies to learn from going forward, but also in time, you know, to the ask, ask themselves the leadership at Lando Lakes, why is it that they didn't want to take the next step? And what are they, you know, what are they afraid of? Uh, and then when I think about how, Jory and, and and her father have made commitments and represented that this is going to be something that they see long term for as long as the company exists and want to partner with the indigenous folks. I think, you know, it's about elevating the, vo- the voice. You know, there in my mind, a lot of people want to be allies, but I ask people to be co-conspirators, right? Because a co-conspirator is more action oriented than an ally, and one of the things that that comes to my mind in this is for them, those owners to begin to leverage their social capital and business capital to the benefit of indigenous communities in Minnesota in particular, but then nationally as well, because they they have a national uh, audience and and market. And having then inform other companies around the country, how they can be doing their their business differently, for one, but also opening the door up for having representation of Indigenous members on boards, you know, and corporate boards, I would say in particular, uh, so that things can begin to be influenced by the voices that sit on these corporate boards, for one, but also you know, where, where are there job opportunities uh, to be targeted in certain uh, areas in our state and across the country that also bring in folks uh, from indigenous uh, communities and Indian country in particular to be able to see this. So to see this as, I guess my point is to see this as an initiative that they can begin to leverage all parts of their business, right? So it's not just one small arm of it, but if they're going to be effective, in my mind, it would be looking at as many entry points as possible to have them begin to leverage their cachet for the betterment of our indigenous brothers and sisters. So
3: Luz, you know, um, I was right about to comment too, like the interesting thing is the response from a, a company, a large company corporate company like lando lakes versus a family-run business you know i mean you it's not hard to see that but i guess i don't have enough uh examples <laughs> not enough organiz- companies have done this to compare the corporate to the you know family-run companies and how they handle these sorts of things if that makes sense
2: I think it it's important too in this case to add to to that plea, um, you know, the uniqueness of having a, a company that was founded, right? Founded on taking something that belonged to somebody else and turning and making profit on it, um, versus Land Lakes, not as an example, but other companies who may have dabbled in, right? Um, there's there can be this sense. And I, and this is this is part of my challenge here is is people being able to see that they are just as, you know, uh, that they can't write this off as, as Minnesota Marcus is being, being special just because they may have just done a can- an ad campaign or had one product that took and appropriated. And I've seen already some distancing in that regard to say, oh, well, this is, you know, we, we, we made amends for that little thing that we did, but that's not indicative of the system wide culture. And yet it is, but folks don't want to have that conversation because they find these ways to judo flip out of it and, 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 and dodge it in those different ways. And so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm for being able to look at this example, even if, even if I may see my role in it or my participation in it as being, you know, much more minimal in comparison to just founding a whole family company on the, the stealing yeah. of something.
4: Yeah, I will jump in quick and say too, to, um, that, that is part of the plan. Also, like when I use the word light, you use leverage, social capital. That's way better. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that is part of the plan. And you know, there's we've had discussions also about you know they have a factory. Com- their factory shipping company is right in the North Side Minneapolis. And that was a conversation that we had that was really interesting too, is they were like, we've tried to reach out to, you know, and, um, you know, advertise our jobs specifically to, uh, indigenous, you know, job fairs. And nobody calls it. They were like, is it because who we are? Like, so there's these really interesting conversations <laughs> that have happened too. Like, is nobody reaching out to us? Cause we don't have that community, you know, like in those, and th- those were interesting conversations out to too. And I was like, probably, you know, like legit, like that might be why, or, you know, you're just not, you know, an outside entity. Like there's like the native listserv in the urban area, right? I doubt that it went on there. You know what I mean? Or just not having those connections that other people have. And then real quick, I wanted to circle back to what I was going to say about Don's comment earlier about the real impact that the deeper impact that these things have had, like the word moccasin and, and people have argued, you know, I've seen some of the emails that have come through uh, through Minnetonka and it's like, well, um, you know, there's been foot coverings that were made of leather for time immemorial. Right. And it's like, well, then don't name it moccasin because that, and I learned like a really fancy word. I knew there was a word for it. And I couldn't think of it we were having a meeting and I was like, it's when English people change another, (laughs) another, uh, you know, language to fit English or whatever. And they were like, anglicization. I was like, yes, I'm going to use that on everything I talk about now. (laughs) And yeah, I was like, and and that's what it is. So that word in our language, it's moccasin or is one moccasin and then moccasin on is two, right? So like, it's a direct anglicization of, of that word. Like moccasin is not an English word. So I think that's one thing that like, should be screamed from the rooftops about it when you want to talk about like hardcore appropriation. And then the other piece that was really interesting and what Don was talking about is like, when we're talking about uh, reconciliation and economic impact, you know, like I had great grandparents and like Don said, his his grandparents sewed moccasins and there was people that I know in my family, they uh, made these birch bark huts and there was like, legit, you know, wild bill type shows that happen in Mille at the trading post. Like this is real, you know, and, and our families that all came from this area, they had crafts, like whether it was, like I said, my family had the birch bark bird houses that my great, great grandpa would sit out on the, you know, one side of 169 and they would sell that. And they had other families that would, maybe it was rice, whatever, all these different things. So when we were in a meeting one day, I explain that. And I was like, so think about that economic impact where you have handmade goods at that trading post specifically, because that's where Don was saying, like this is where Minnetonka's like main legacy is right at these trading posts to have these authentic type things. And you're out there on the side of the road selling and then up backs up one day in, you know, 75 years ago, <laughs> a Minnetonka truck selling something that's called moccasin. In your own language, like what that did and how that affected that whole business up north in Minnesota specifically. Knocked it well, right out. Know,
0: Adrian, you brought up, you know, Fort Mille Lacs and and that wasn't owned by us because we all we all grew up. We all grew up with that, with them putting on shows, using our band members for for the powwows and that and that whole thing. And and, you know, you are so correct because. You know, you and I have a lot in common because the Sam family is from Isle, and you know, my grandfather, uh, my my great grandmother, um, all my Sam relatives, my including my mother, are from Isle, and um, and so I, you know, I I wasn't I didn't I wasn't born on a reservation, but I spent summers up there, and my great grandmother was just like so many of her generation; she didn't speak English. Um, and during the winter, she would make, like you said, moccasins. She would make birch bark tree houses, canoes, uh, little buckets, the whole nine yards. And then she would build a wiki up, uh, a, a Wigwam wiki up place over on 169, kind of across from where the, tr- where the, uh, museum is at. And then she would sit out there all summer and sell it to the tourists that hadn't stopped at Fort Malax and already bought some of that stuff, and then she would get them, you know, as they would continue up toward Aiken and Deer River, and so, so um, you know that that's my history. That was their that was her income, right? That that's what you know, and and um, and I used to watch her tan a hide by hand. With water, her teeth, and a rock. I mean, I'm talking traditional, traditional. I mean, you know, those things, there are, I I think there are still a few individuals who can still do that, you know, still know how to do that. And she sewed all her moccasins with rawhide, no, no, none of this uh, stitching in, in terms of, you know, the, the thread that they use now, her birch bark, everything was made from birch bark, her stitching. And I'm sure it was the same thing with your grandparents and your great grandparents. It was all traditional. And that, and that's a, that was, you know, cause many of those objects weren't art per se. Those were tools. Exactly. Those were all things that we used in our community and everyday life, it's later they kind of take on this, this identity of art. You know what I mean? Because they were useful tools that our communities used, and um,
3: you know, um, this kind of reminds me of of um, when Tom's Shoes did. Uh, they came out with a couple of Hmong designed shoes. And a lot of people were like, don't buy it because it's this, like, white company, right? Um, And then some people were like, well, you should buy it because, you know, isn't it great that we're, like, going mainstream now? But, like, to me, the important part was that the person who designed it was Hmong, right? And so when I hear what you just said, Adrian, about, like, imagine somebody taking the words from your language and putting it on something that has nothing to do, like... I think people like just think about that for a second. How that would make you feel personally to, to well, see that Well, that's how happen. we became
0: Chippewa. That's an anglicization. Same with the same with the name. Same with the uh, term Sioux Indians. That's an anglicism. Those aren't our. Those aren't our terms. Those aren't our language.
2: I was waiting for somebody <laughs> yeah,
0: to go Yeah, I there. mean, I mean, there's you know we can go on and on and on how they've anglicized us and um
4: yeah and that and then you know and then you go one step deeper to what don said too is like you can't practice your culture and to us culture was was beadwork was moccasins were all those things because that was how life happened even those birch bark containers all had use right now like don said they're like it's kind of a lost art because obviously there's metal and all these other things like that but then it 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 wasn't so it's like you know don't be Indian because <laughs> that was the terminology that was used back then. Right. But we want your stuff and we're going to sell that style and your culture. Right. And then, you know, so then it it turns into the, like where we're at now, the appreciation versus appropriation and, and that whole conversation too. But yeah, it, it is. And that's the other part of it too, that, you know, that we've been in talks with too, that it's done being <laughs> important to know that, that Thunderbird design that Minnetonka is famous for—that's on the table, also in conversations that we've had. Should it be redesigned? Should it be done away with? You know, it's special to them. I will say that because it's—it's it's what's been their like landmark shoe, and that's something that's very um, sacred in our culture. You know, like <laughs> in talks about it, they asked me about redesigning it, and I said. Like you have to like dream or see that thunderbird in in some way because nobody really even know how would you even know what that looks like right because it's it's a it's it's what we call a manadu, do right it's like a spirit so how can you bead something that you might not even know what it looks like so interesting conversations more to come but I just had to bring that little bit up because that's a big part of Minnetonka's. You know, A, the anglicization of the word moccasin and then putting beadwork on your moccasins too. And that is definitely, you know, all tied to the same thread.
1: Adrian, one more question that just popped in my mind as you were talking. What we've talked about thus far is, you know, outward facing efforts, right? What are the inward facing efforts that are happening within the company? and having employees understand the importance of this and the legacy that the family has, has said they want to achieve, which is to have Indigenous interests in mind for the duration of the, the existence of the company. What kind of work are you, are you involved with, or is someone else doing that, or is it not happening at all?
4: Awesome question, and I will say yes, it is. They've actually brought in Tom Habot, he came into Minnetonka's staff meeting, um, executive and like all, and talked about appropriation and the ways that it has affected Native communities. And I believe uh, Marissa Cummings, the CEO of MIWRC, also just recently spoke with their staff um, on a. And that was underway before I was involved. I think Joe was one of their first mentors before I came on board. Um, and then the other ways that they see it. So we've been talking to, uh, of course a public school up this way, because I have most access to people I know. Um, and we've had conversations about, um, Jory and David possibly coming to, you know, maybe doing a school tour and talking to to youth. Um, during, (laughs) during the week, I also teach, uh, language and culture in a American Indian studies class at Onamia public schools. And so, um, well, I'm the assistant teacher and I teach with Chris Naquinaby and she has been playing these uh, interviews that I've been doing to the kids and they have been getting really fired up about it. Like having these same questions, how come they do that? How, how come they got away with it for so long and all these different questions. So that was something that also ticked about a possible future thing was to have you know, them come and have conversations or how do we maybe frame a community conversation with adults or even have them and, you know, me come on a show like this or have, you know, a bigger forum where people can can air those different things that they want to ask. And even, you know, stuff that you've said is, uh, you know, already given me more thought to things that we can do. Right. And that was the other part I was saying earlier is like, it, it really feels like it's a lot and that it... But it's, but it's not at the same time because it's one company with one revenue stream that wants to do certain things, right? Like they're not going to go out there and be able to provide reparations for every, you know, individual native person. But that's, that's what I think is like the hardest part or the, you know, makes me really want to do my best is to like offer this and make this something that's really deep and meaningful, whether it is like, and that's the other part of what we've to answer your, uh, the other part of your question too, is like, we want to have kids come and work with their advertising agencies or to see how the factory, you know, does their shipping or whatever it is, you know, like we've talked about that too, like offering those types of opportunities that they can leverage, you know, to to give to indigenous youth, and you know, see what we can work into that aspect of things, or creating, you know, art circles that they fund that can bring back what they've taken in a sense, you know. So it's it's, it's it is deep and all all pretty well rounded of the ways that we've thought about it. But again, we're you know maybe three to six months in. I'd say three months, real deep of like planning, thinking, processing. And, you know, from here after that, you know, major part of like having to say you're sorry, I think in any relationship, right, we're talking going back to my reconciliation advisor job is like, that's key. You can't just go on with somebody or expect them to, you know, continue to walk with you when they haven't admitted they're wrong. And so, that's where we are, but much, much more to come. And I'm pretty excited about to see where, where we go and, you know, with what they're willing to do. And obviously like, you know, there's a monetary cap of per year of where where we're at with donation and everything like that. So it's kind of right now, it's really like building relationships for them, through them, with them. And, you know, I think that's where it leans heavy on me to, you know, like, and I let them know this one, like, real quick at the beginning of our, you know, like, people are going to trust you through me and what I've done, right? And, like, that's really important for them to remember. And that was, like, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember who said it about, like, the paid position, right? was really loud about if you're going to continue. And I said it, like, if, if we're going to continue this relationship, like, I'm going to be paid. in this. Job. And it was, like, no question. Like, yes, we want to and we're going to pay you well. Like, and eventually, you know, they've talked about eventuals, like, will I be a full-time position? Like, I guess it'll see how much we can get done. But like I said, you know, right now it's like basic, like the apology had to happen. This, uh, these conversations that I'm having and being honored to have with you or any other, you know, NPR, whoever it is, it's amazing. Like, I feel like, I feel very blessed to be obviously only one person of one tribe of of 5,000 people or so in Minnesota, you know, like there's so many more people that have so much more to say about it and appropriation doesn't just affect the Black Band of Ojibwe or me, right? It affects nationwide and everyone. And I think it's a really big role that's really exciting, but also it's like, you just want to do the most and I'm hoping to, but, you know, it's just, we're at like step one and just real new. And so I'm excited to see where we go.
3: So one thing you said when um, you first, you know, you introduced yourself was that um, they had tried to reach out to some other indigenous folks and nobody really wanted to take the meeting. And so that's why you took it. What made you take it? You didn't know the company at that time. And I ask because I think all of us here um, have been asked to, you know, hey, we want to try to learn about your people or, you know, we want to try to connect with your community and a lot of times we're like, you know, maybe when, we, when I was younger, I was like, yeah, that's so great. But now I'm very skeptical, you know, when 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 somebody asks me that. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what, what made you take it.
4: Well, I think it was like it was community relations. No, it was it was relational. Right. Like it was it was the person who asked because I knew what she's about, you know, and I and mm-hmm. and I had heard of a couple of the others like Joe and another person that was involved was uh, Wayne Ducheneau from Native governance center and I thought okay like I know their work if they're involved like it's probably legit you know so it's it's just that same like community relational thing and I know exactly how that is <laughs> so it depends if, on who asks you right but like and the other part of it is that I think like just personally I've always been up for that challenge and I was just having a conversation with one of my friends the other day so I'm like i maybe known or unknown I have felt very like alienated in my own community sometimes because like, you know, I have a, I have a special needs daughter and I have raised hell so many times in the schools. And like, I kind of feel like, you know, community meetings or whatever, different things, you know, it's like, oh gosh, she's here, you know, like, but now I'm doing this because of that. And I never saw that coming. Right. Like, and it's always because like, I just feel like the challenge for me or what I feel is that like, If we're not going to educate other people, like, and I mean, we, as in the folks who have the experiences that others need to be educated about, then it's going to just be this continuous cycle of, of the, well, we'll just get the information from the person that'll stamp us then and just say, okay, and move on. Right. Or do you really want to take that opportunity? Like, and I, and I understand it too, where people want to say no and just F it. I'm not going to, you know, like expend my energy there. But I guess just in my work, especially with what I've had to deal with where I've grown up, being in a border town and having to like fight so hard for, you know, special needs issues or just indigenous issues within that school too. And to take that on with in an in environment that is so anti <laughs> is like, it didn't scare me, you know, honestly, like it was like... Pfft. That's nothing compared to what I've dealt with up here. You know, really like Don's like <laughs> smirking, but he knows like, and so that was kind of part of it. I felt like, you know, but that's just my personal opinion about it is like, I I know that I've been very blessed to grow up with some wonderful elders who've bestowed like their traditional knowledge onto me, having a a very, you know, connected family growing up here and also having a lot of connections, you know, in the art world and just to the experiences that I've had. And I think about it and I'm just like, if we're not going to do that and step into those roles, like it'll just keep being like the fake things that aren't going to be meaningful. And, and people who want to be educated are never going to be truly educated or they'll just be, you know, book educated unless, you know, folks are willing to like step up and take those opportunities to, to teach. And it is, it is like it can be exhausting. I know that much, you know, like, but that's kind of just the way that I look at it is, you know, as much as it is exhausting, I think once in a while you'll, you'll, you keep pushing and, you know, telling, telling our stories that one day it'll stick and you'll end up with a really good ally or co-conspirator that's going to help you move some, some things forward. And I think that that's been a really lucky experience with, with Minnetonka. So I feel like they're really like, like I said, they're very uh, forward thinking and they, they get it. They really do. And they're, you know, I really feel, felt the honesty with them right off the bat. And the fact, you know, like I said, they're willing to put up the money and to, to move forward on some things and kind of just, what do you think we should do? It wasn't, this is what we're going to do. It's you tell us. And that was, you know, for me, like, all right, let's go then. <laughs> you know,
1: Adrian, I I hope that they are brave enough to take this to the next level. And and some of the thoughts that come to my mind would be to have a presentation at the Minnesota Business Partnership, which is a a big, you know, um, organization yeah. with the top CEOs in the area. very wealthy companies and to have a conversation about this, I think that would be an incredibly progressive and valuable step for them to take. And then I, you know, for as many times as as we've spoken about reconciliation here in this segment, there are other efforts going on in community for reconciliation and reparations. The one that comes to mind immediately is, is the one that is driven by uh, Curtis DeYoung at the Council of Churches, and he's got Jim Bear Jacobs as part of that effort. And, and is there room then for, uh, folks there at, at the Minnetaka Moccasins then to partner with these other efforts to really amplify the voices, but also the resources? And ultimately speaking, yes, it'll be expensive, but guess what? It was expensive to indigenous folks when you stole the land, um, however many hundreds of years ago. Right. So we have to think about the reality of where we sit as a society and how it is the immediate result of the injustices that have been preyed upon indigenous folks, black folks uh, and brown folks as well.
0: Well, I think we've had quite the discussion. Um, We've had the opportunity to listen to uh, and talk with uh, Adrian Benjamin, who's started a new position as a reconciliation advisor with uh, Minnetaka Moccasin. And we've had the opportunity to kind of touch on on, uh, cultural appropriation, reparations when it concerns indigenous populations, but particularly, I think, close to home. Um, Adrian and I are both uh, uh, members of the Malax band from the same small border town. She she continues to uh, reference Isle, Minnesota, um, and I think that I think that uh, we look forward to maybe having Adrian back on with us again in another Counter Stories uh, a few months down the road, so that we can see how her. Her relationship with this organization continues to, I think, grow and develop because it's so new. I mean, it was just announced a couple weeks ago and it is so new. Um, She's the only person I know of that has a position like this. And so I'm I'm uh, looking forward to having having her back at another time so we can see how that how that has grown. I'm Don Eubanks. Uh, associate at Dendros Group, and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians.
1: Luz Maria Frias, deputy attorney general with the state of Minnesota. Any comments or opinions that I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer.
2: Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark's AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and partner at Dendros Group. And I'm Halia Lee,
3: owner of The Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer.
4: And Adrian Benjamin, Mille band member, artist, activist, and newly reconciliation advisor for the Minnetonka Moxon Company.
0: This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories Crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.